Um, Alright, well, welcome to, I guess, a little behind-the-scenes sports business edition of the Colorful Kid Podcast. Uh, we have Walter with us today. We got Guillermo Zamararipa. And uh, I'll let you guys introduce yourself. Uh, go ahead, uh, Walter. Hey, well, Raul, thanks for having me on the show today. Uh, Walter Franco, a, a few that follow Liga MX in English may know, may have heard of him maybe once or twice. I uh, do a lot of business consulting for uh, Liga MX clubs in the U.S. with uh, friendly matches, um, have done some licensing in the past, and just overall uh, business development uh, initiatives for clubs looking to expand their reach uh, and their relevance and visibility in the U.S., uh, go ahead, Guillermo. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Raul, first of all. Um, well, I have, uh, I have a couple of companies that uh, are related to the sports industry. One of them related to amateur athletes and uh, how, how to pursue uh, athletic, scholarships, athletic scholarships here in the U.S. I also work with many professional athletes on their branding marketing strategies, um, and I consult for uh, the Mexican Soccer Federation, in the licensing business here in the United States, so uh, we're in Dallas, Texas. So yeah, very, very important about sports business in general. And we're gonna kind of touch on everything Mexican soccer in this episode, starting with Liga MX, talking about friendlies, their TV deals, and then eventually a national team. You know, talking about things like how you can get a, a chicharito, maybe chicharito beach towel. I don't know. We'll see. We'll get into that. Um, but we'll talk about the challenges of even getting that deal done. So um, let's just start off with uh, Liga MX. And um, just a quick note, I was, I've was i done this for a couple of years, just kind of looking through what Liga MX clubs make on their U.S. deals alone. And doing the math, Liga MX, those 18 Liga, Liga MX clubs make more money than the 20 or 22 MLS clubs. So uh, what are your yeah, thoughts on the TV deal, Walter? Or TV well, deals. I, yeah, you're right. I, Let me say TV I, deals. I think, yeah, TV deals, right? So, um, yeah, you, you're definitely right. So I think it's uh, – I want to say MLS is making right now per year, I think it's right around $90 million in their new TV contract. The thing to keep in mind as well is that that, that TV rights deal is also bundled with the U.S. Soccer Federation for their matches as well. So you don't know exactly how much MLS is really getting uh, from that, from that uh, deal. Um, but yeah, Liga MX, the rumors are, we don't know exact figures, but the rumors are that they're getting just over a hundred million dollars per year. And so, um, if you think of that, about that relative to MLS, uh, it makes sense. They're getting more money and, and, uh, Univision is definitely getting their, their dollars worth uh, based on ratings alone, but it also kind of makes you think, okay, so if MLS is getting, you know, 90 million a year or whatever that actual amount is based on what the split is between U.S. Soccer Federation, um, you know, they're probably not, they're probably underpaid. And uh, one of Octagon's uh, senior vice presidents, uh, and I forgot his name, uh, recently came out on a podcast on a Bloomberg and, and he basically said he thinks League MX is the most undervalued property uh, what, not only in North America, but also in the world in terms of their soccer rights. He thinks that that's one that really needs to be exploited. And I think something that's that, that I've talked about a lot uh, before in the past, and one of the challenges for League MX to really maximize their, their value in the marketplace is um, they really need to bundle their TV rights. Uh, as you know, both in Mexico, in the U.S., 
um, and even abroad, each club negotiates their own TV rights, which is actually good for a club if like you're you're one of the bigger clubs, but it's bad if you're one of the smaller clubs because um, you're not able to really get a, a, a good value for it beyond Mexico. And so, um, and this is the same model that La Liga clubs had up until what this year, right, or last year? Uh, yeah, I think I think it was uh, two years ago or so when when they started to do kind of a revenue, uh, kind of a revenue sharing model where it's not necessarily equally distributed. Um, but yeah, you're right. And so, th- by doing that, that's obviously helped La Liga a lot now in terms of an influx of cash, and that's really something that Liga MX needs to really explore. Um, Enrique Bonilla, the, the uh, so-called commissioner of Liga MX about two years ago said that they really want to focus on globalizing the league. And part of that globalization is the TV rights, which ends up becoming one of the biggest uh, income, income streams uh, for, for any type of league. And so um, what you're going to see here is, uh, you know, if they're not able to bundle their TV rights, then it's harder to really negotiate with broadcasters throughout the world because then you have to go into each individual club and it just becomes a nuisance. And so um, by selling it as a package, it's going to be beneficial for the league and all the leagues will benefit benefit from that. So um, that's my personal opinion, kind of the way that I see it. Guillermo, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. No, I, I 100% agree with your uh, perspective. I think that's one of the biggest challenges that the league MS faces. Um, I personally believe they, they should be uh, taking the leadership uh, in, in those kind of negotiations, at least to set up a platform to start those discussions, because uh, I don't think um, they have started that. And to be fair, that's a, it's an extremely difficult uh, situation to negotiate. Um, to your point, I mean, clubs have their own uh, personal deals and historic deals for many, many years. So. How do you really tell uh, Chivas or America, right, that now their 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 deal is going to be diluted, uh, and they're going to have to give something to Santos or to Morelia or to uh, you know Gallos uh, from Querétaro? I think it's a very complex situation, uh, one that again needs to start with uh, Liga MX leading those discussions, um, and I think they have to really uh, dig deep into uh, structuring the platform, structuring the revenue share. So that it can actually be attractive for everyone, right? And that might have to be uh, going outside of media rights and, uh, and really put a structure behind how do they uh, share revenue across the board, uh, whether that money goes to um, hiring, you know, hiring players or licensing. I think there's a lot of things that could come from TV rights uh, because to Walter's point, I mean, there's, there's a lot of money there uh, that is currently not being properly distributed. And just to give people an idea of the, the breakdown, um, I'm on I'm on World Talker Talk. Between January 11th and January 22nd in the U.S., the 13 highest rated soccer games, nine of them were Liga MX games. Yep, and that, that's how it's been, you know, for the last few years, right? When you think about the highest rated games, and then when you think about, you know. Uh, MLS Cup uh, just a month and a half ago. I don't remember what the ratings were. I think it was maybe just over a million million people total. And I think um, for Tigres Chivas, each game averaged well over two million. So you're talking about over four million combined for both legs. And one of those games what happened to be on a, on a weeknight. And so again, I, I really think that um, 
League MX is 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 definitely undervalued uh, very much actually because they should be get, uh, fetching in the UN, United States a much higher uh, TV deal. So if that deal was bundled, I would I would imagine that that deal could at least be double uh, what it, what it currently is right now. Um, but um, you know, as Guillermo said, it's just so difficult to to, to pry that away from from Chivas or America, uh, especially when they've been so used to how things have been done for so long. Yeah, and I think something that is interesting as well is, uh, I mean, we, when you talk to people out there in the industry, uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of companies, a lot of uh, a lot of organizations that invest in sports that literally have no idea what Liga MX is, uh, and it's pretty interesting to try to explain to those folks. Okay, if you look at ratings, well, guess what? You know, a, a Liga MX game. It might actually have better ratings than an NBA game, than an NFL game. So I think at that point is when they, you know, they open their eyes and they're okay. Let's let's listen more. But it to me it's kind of shocking how it's still very far away um, from the actual decision makers in terms of okay, fully aware of what Liga MX, fully aware of uh, what I can do with the property, and that's a, that's that's a thing another a deeper conversation because it, it does involve a lot of. Uh, um, demographics and, uh, and how do you how do a company that will you know sponsor this uh, would actually make uh, is dollar worth and another thing to keep in mind when talking about these uh, TV ratings is uh, MLS goes out of their way to schedule into the best possible windows they have one game they usually have three games on Sunday one in like the morning-ish one in the afternoon and one at night where Liga MX half the game started at 7 o'clock central time on a Saturday <laughs> across three different channels so I just, that's another thing that goes in line with what you're saying Guillermo if they were able to get one deal they could even get higher ratings by maximizing the, these games as opposed to playing them at the same time yeah and, and one thing too I want to add to is that by doing by bundling your TV rights as well, you're able to create kind of a flex scheduling system, what you've seen with the NFL and even with the MLS, where you're able to put certain matchups in prime time positions. But what you have with Liga MX right now is every every Friday, every other Friday night at uh, 7.30 Pacific time, Cholos play their game, their matches at home, right? Every every other Saturday night at 8 o'clock uh, Mountain Time, which is where I'm at, Club America has their home games, right? And so... That's good for fans, but to really grow the league exponentially beyond Mexico, you need to structure certain games for Chivas and America, for example, when they play. Put them in a specific primetime match during the season where you know you can market around that upcoming weekend or even have like a rivalry uh, week, which which happens a lot, which is MLS has done, which you see in college football, which you see even in the NFL sometimes or the NBA. Uh, having those type of ma- market, those matchups at certain points during the season would really help explode ratings, in my opinion. But, uh... Yeah, and just to, no, go ahead, Guillermo. Just to complement one more thing, I think, uh, and I think we, we discussed this offline, Walter, I mean, what, what, what would it take for an official Liga MX game to be played in the United States? Can you guys imagine that? Uh, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of value on, on something like that. I, I, I think we're still years ahead of that. Uh, years away from that, but I, I think it's doable. And uh, by finding a structure to following TV rights, I think that will be a, a step in the right direction. Um, at the same time, though, isn't it a problem that some of these clubs are 
I forget how many of them, but a lot of these clubs are owned by media companies in Mexico, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's uh, Guillermo. You might, yeah. I think it's what it's like four Guillermo. I mean, some three or four used to be more than that. Um, and, and yeah, I mean that that definitely creates an issue. But that's more. I think that's more of a domestic issue, more than internationally. But um, you know, but then you have to do, have to take into account. You know, Televisa. I think they still have a minority stake in Univision, and so obviously from Univision Deportes perspective, you see a lot of heavy focus on Club América. Um, Univision actually has the rights for all the Liga MX clubs right now up until next summer when uh, this upcoming summer when Cholos will actually pivot towards uh, Fox uh, Deportes in the U.S. and also Fox Sports. It's known as Fox Sports in Mexico. Um, so that'll be there'll be some shifting there. And, and I imagine we'll probably see more of a dispersion uh, where you probably might see Telemundo start uh, asking for those rights for certain clubs again down the road. Um, but I, I think ultimately, though, that's why kind of going back to the original point is the league really needs to be at the forefront of this and say, hey, and really sell this idea to, to Liga MX owners saying, if we're able to bundle these rights in the U.S., in Europe, in other places, all of you are going to get a bigger slice of the pie incrementally over time because we're able to really sell the league now. We're not going to sell just one club. And so um, that that's going to be the biggest challenge for Liga MX long term. Yeah, no, I think that summarizes it. I mean, until someone from uh, Liga MX takes the leadership, takes the lead on that, and actually puts together a plan that makes sense for the big teams, the medium teams, and the small teams, um, this will not, this will not happen. Uh, Guillermo, I have a question for you. Do you think if say? Um some the, let's just say the Liga MX commissioner said and say, hey guys, let's bundle our let's bundle our TV rights, but let's kind of do what Spain did, where you know the the two biggest clubs in Spain, Real Madrid and Barcelona, one of the stipulations for when they bundled the TV deal was they were not going to get any less than what they had been getting. So what if I don't know? I think is it is it Chivas and uh, America had the two biggest TV deals in America. What if they bundled the deal and Liga MX said, hey, you know you you two guys aren't going to get anything less. Do you think that might start the talks, or you think that's going to do anything for them? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think that would incentivize the conversations, that's for sure. Um, that gives America and Chivas a, a peace of mind in terms of, okay, I'm not losing money, right? So it's at least worth it to sit on the table and have and have the discussion. Um, so I guess at that point it's just a matter of running some numbers. Like Walter said, I think uh, if the, the rights get bundled, I do think there's justification uh, behind a good strategy uh, to radically increment the, the, the price. Um, so I think it makes sense. I think it's a situation where Chivas America could be uh, earning at least the same, if not more, actually. Uh, and then the other clubs would actually get uh, benefited as well, because it goes without saying, but the small clubs would absolutely get benefit, uh, a lot of benefit from uh, bundling the rights. But, um, Overall, it should be a positive impact uh, on all the teams. Uh, I have a question for you, Walter. In terms of, you keep saying um, so-and-so company has the rights. I know in American sports, it, it those rights deals go down to highlight pack. Like it just, They're very line item. In Mexico, do those clubs say Univision has the rights? Does, do you, does that mean they also own the streaming rights? Do the, does that mean they also own the English rights? Or in or Liga MX clubs don't even think about that. 
Well, I, uh, a little bit of the latter. They don't, they don't really think about that. Um, so um, I know that one, without naming a specific club, they had uh, – there was a club recently that had uh, the rights license to Azteca TV in Mexico and also Azteca America in the U.S. And so uh, – but it's Spanish rights. But the, the, also the, the little tidbit was that Azteca America also had the English rights which made absolutely no sense because they did nothing to use that. And so um, I think with these, what, what oftentimes happens is Liga Max Clause will just kind of sign away and just be like, hey, we're getting the money. And so we're not really thinking of, of how else to really activate that brand. And so um, the, the networks will use their influence domestically in Mexico and just say, okay, you know, we're going to also have these rights as well. And they're like, yeah, okay, whatever. And it's not really up to us to, to, to distribute that. And so a little bit of maybe a lack of foresight uh, because if, if they would have said, no, you, you can only have the Spanish rights, but we're going to go out and sell our own English rights. And you could have seen uh, maybe a little bit more movement and in, in, in potential for, for distribution in other ways. But yeah, as you see, you saw with Univision, um, they obviously had the right, they were able to, have the English rights through the clubs that they were distributing at the time, and they were able to go ahead and say, "Okay, now we're going to do English uh, language uh, streams through through Facebook Live." If that makes sense, that's kind of a long-winded answer. No, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, and, and just to compliment on that, I think that that goes with um, how quickly the industry is changing, right? I mean. Um, TV rights are evolving uh, now with Netflix, with Facebook, with Twitter. Uh, I mean, we see it in the NFL with, uh, with Twitter Live. Uh, we see it with Facebook, how aggressive they've been lately uh, to try to acquire some TV rights. Same thing with Netflix. I mean, I think um, eventually we'll, we'll get to a point where uh, some of those uh, companies might actually be in the bid for uh, sports media rights. And uh, League MX will be a natural bid for, for any of those trying to uh, conquer a big part of the pie here in the United States. So, uh, and to Walter's point, I think um, it was interesting to see how everything uh, evolved uh, in the last few months or actually late last year uh, with the TV rights of the Mexican national team. If you guys remember, there were, there were a lot of different details in terms of, okay, who owns the rights in the U.S. versus Mexico? Who owns the rights in digital versus non-digital? Uh, and I think that obviously makes the negotiations a little bit more complex uh, than what people realize. Uh, but it's also the, the world we, we currently live in and, uh, and organizations and properties need to adapt to that. Because I'm thinking right now, like, uh, NBC owns Telemundo. Um, I think Telemundo owns the Pachuca rights. Is that right? Uh, not anymore. It's, uh, Univision has all the, all the Liga MX clubs now. All right, well, that throws away my plan. But I was thinking if, you know, when Pachuca was on Telemundo, what's to say Telemundo goes, hey, NBC owns us. NBC Sports wants to try it out. Let's throw the Pachuca Chivas game on NBC Sports. Like, I Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. I mean, and, and like I said, I, I think, you know, yes, NBC Sports owns Telemundo, but I think there's still a kind of a barrier, whether it be a cultural barrier, language barrier, uh when you're talking about large corporations like that, sometimes those synergies haven't been established yet. I think NBC Sports is only owned or Comcast is only owned Telemundo 
for uh, Comcast with Jones NBC. But I think that that merger happened maybe what two or three years ago, and so it often takes a lot of time for them to understand how they can work together to to create those synergies. And I think ultimately, I mean, if you, I don't know if you guys remember, but I think it was five years ago where ESPN and ESPN2 started showing a few Liga MX games in English. And, but that only lasted for a few months. And I think maybe they were scared off by the low ratings initially, but I mean, a lot has changed in five years. And I really think it's worth exploring for like an NBC Sports or even an FS1 uh, through Fox Sports or even ESPN again, if they're able to do it, to start really trying with Liga MX again. And specifically, maybe more higher profile matchups that people have heard about. So like a Chivas America um, or, uh, you know, even a Tigres Monterrey right now with that, with, with that rivalry, how it's really, you know, taken off over the last few years. I mean, I'm just thinking, cause I, I'm looking online the the Comcast Telemundo deal closed um, pretty much actually like seven years ago, almost to the day. Cause uh, when I'm watching NBC or NBC sports, and I know there's like United versus Chelsea. It's on Telemundo sure. too, you know? So it's just, What's to say? And I mean, I'm sure there's complications, but that's why I was asking if there's a specific English rights component. Because what's to say Telemundo couldn't just throw the game on NBC Sports? That would have been cool, actually. Right. That would have been really cool. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I, like I said, I think I think right now, and and these these TV rights are harder to break through to get an understanding of what they are than any other TV rights in the U.S. For, even for EPL, like they're pretty transparent with what's going on with, with the value of those deals and Liga Max, it's really hard to find out what's going on unless you have the contract in your hand. But um, I, I, my understanding is that uh, Liga Max, because they have all the rights for all the clubs right now, that there's probably some type of, uh, you know, note in, in their contract where they can also uh, have the option to, um, activate that English rights clause or uh, some type of, you know what I mean? Know where they can, they can use. And that's why Liga MX, when they do announce their Facebook live uh, matches, they're not necessarily set. They, they, they kind of go on a week by week basis on, okay, now we're going to do this match. Then we're going to do another one in, in English. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think that, correct me if I'm wrong, but it can't be too expensive to set up the dual feed in terms of the guys calling the game or doing it from a from an office. They're not at the actual stadium for the Liga MX games. You would think, I, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a television producer, but I, you, you got to think that it's got to be pretty cheap. Yeah, well, in terms of that, I mean, do you think you see with, with, Moon, with uh, Univision owning all the rights, you see them making more of a push to try to get some of that English language? Uh, audience because we've all we've all we've all watched games on uh we've all watched the mx games and you hop on twitter and you see someone oh this is so cool i just i don't know what's going on so i don't really watch it <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's just a kind of a head scratcher just how slow things have been taking off and even even univision to an extent too i i don't uh, i don't know if they've already uh started streaming any matches in english i most i watch everything in spanish anyway but uh, I don't know if they've kind of released a, a tentative schedule of what they hope to call or how many games they, they hope to call this this year. But, um, you know, the thing with Facebook Live, too, and, and I'm curious to kind of see what Guillermo thinks, too, is that it's still very much uncharted territory. and It's hard to really measure viewers and ratings off of, off of streams because, you know, viewers may not be the same as actual people sitting watching you don't know how many people are watching the whole game and it's it's kind of hard to track and there's no real accurate measurement tool like nielsen how they do television ratings so i don't know if people are really understanding if it's worth it if it's viable based on the current numbers of people watching but 
I think they definitely need to try to explore how to put games on an actual channel in English, whether that be through, you know, you know, an NBC Sports or, or something, if, if there's a way to do that, because I think that that would be the true test and measure to, to see the, the effectiveness and, and ultimately the interest of uh, Liga MX in English. Yeah, I, I think the climate too. Uh, I guess we get we've gotten to a point where, uh, I mean, the word out there it's, it's companies are starting to realize that they need to start putting some English content out there. I don't think they have cracked the code yet. Uh, still, there's still a lot of beta tests out there um, from organizations trying to really uh, figure out what's the best way to target and uh, create English content. Um, very interesting to see how Fox is going to do it, especially with the U.S. Uh, out of the, the upcoming World Cup. Uh, I mean, even before the elimination of the U.S., they, they, had, they announced that they were going to go um, very, very aggressive when it comes to covering the Mexican national team. So you would think it's in, it's in English, right? Uh, so I'm, I'm very interested to see how, how is that going to work. Uh, but in terms of Facebook, what, referring to what Walter was saying, I think... Ultimately, you have to believe it, it, it's way less expensive for Facebook to produce a game if they can actually figure out the insights and the data analytics behind that. So I think there's motivation uh, for them to continue to pursue TV rights and continue to um, be in, in, innovators because that's really what they are in terms of trying to um, connect with whether, whether it's a millennial or just a general fan because that's another thing to be uh discuss you know where is facebook a millennial thing is it something that people in general are gonna uh find themselves uh tune in uh, i think there's a lot of uh loss around that too and um i mean like, like i said the media industry is changing that's for sure and uh there's a lot of companies trying to adapt to those changes as we speak I wonder if Univision is kind of doing this almost as a trial trial run, so they can get they get all this data, and what's to stop them? Like once again, I don't know what's in the TV contract, but what's what's to stop them from going to another network like ESPN three and say, hey, you guys should pay us to stream these games in English. Look at the data we have on who's watching this, because ESPN is set to launch their own over the top network in the next I think two years, so they need they need they need live games. That, that's a great point, Raul. I think um, they're definitely pioneering this this concept, and uh, they were very forward-thinking in doing this with Facebook Live. And and also keep in mind that this English language broadcast uh, concept that they did in partnership with Facebook had League MX basically had nothing to do with it, which is actually a really big shame. They should have been at the forefront saying, "Hey, how do we how do we make this happen? How do, how do we get our clubs more visibility?" But this was all done through Univision. And so uh, just kind of a side thought. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this this might be an opportunity where they say, okay, this is how many viewers we've had. This is how it might be worth it. And then they sub-license it out to an ESPN, through ESPN3, or, you know, even NBC Sports Live or something like that, or even even almost like a Netflix where they do a partnership with Netflix and, and or do some kind of a sub-license. So um, I think that's a great point, and I think it'll definitely be interesting to see what, what ends up happening in the next year or so. Because, uh, uh, Guillermo, what do you think uh... – Liga MX clubs would want with that with that data that Univision has. I mean, wouldn't they want to know which fans are watching, where they're watching when trying when they're trying to host these friendlies in the U.S. Oh, you would think, right? <laughs> uh, 
some some of the clubs do have uh, some good um, data from their Facebook page, for instance. I, I've I've personally seen a few of those metrics uh, behind some of the biggest clubs in 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 Mexico here in the U.S. And it's pretty pretty entertaining uh, and interesting to see uh, the demographics. I mean, I would probably say um, 25 to 30 percent. Um, of the users from Facebook Live are from the U.S. So that's a pretty aggressive uh, number when you think about it. Because, I mean, if you're Chivas Club America, you can play anywhere in the U.S. and sell out. But if you're Veracruz and you want to make some more money during the season and you want to play a friendly, it would probably help to know where the hell your friends are. Exactly. Something interesting, too, and and it adds another uh, layer of complexity is uh, friendlies are different to official games, right? So uh, I'll give an example. Like uh, Chivas is playing like, in a couple of weeks um, in, 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 in El Paso, Texas, um, or the HEB Park. Um, so that that doesn't mean that they're gonna that the game is gonna be uh, put in on Univision. Although, although Univision has a rights for League MX games, um, the promoter of that specific game, I think it's Chivas Santos, can actually decide to go to ESPN. So that just adds another layer of complexity to, to your point right now, Raul. And Liga, those Liga MX clubs love those mid-season friendlies, you know? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And and, and Guillermo, how do you see those uh, Liga MX clubs? Do they maximize those friendlies and try to tie in with marketing deals? I know... Uh, there's uh, Aguila Tour for Club America, and I know Chivas don't have a, a program, but they always go to America. They always come to the U.S. for these friendlies. Like, do you see these clubs actually maximizing their potential? Well, that's uh, that's a great question, and I, and I know Walter has lots of insight uh, on this one. But what I will say is, I think they the the clubs currently rely a lot on the promoter meaning whatever the promoter says, right, in terms of boundaries. Um, and to, in, in my perspective, they don't maximize in terms of licensing, in terms of going out there and really securing sponsorships. Um, I guess they're comfortable with whatever fee they give them, right, and then they leave everything to the promoter. Um, not sure how the rep shares are structured, uh, but in my experience, I think that's what they do, and they just kind of like sit, uh, sit back and relax the tour, which they should totally do. Uh, but I do feel that they're missing an opportunity to build brand equity by not controlling a lot of the things that could be controlled in a friendly game. And again, I go back to licensing and just maximizing sponsorships and activations and uh, fan engagements and uh, just trying to build the brand out here. So I personally think they could do a lot more. So to your point, no, I don't think they maximize uh, that opportunity at all. I mean, I can, yeah, just, I, I can just imagine uh, Club America, because Club America and Chivas come to Chicago often. I mean, I've never seen Club America do like a signing at Nike Town or, you know, like yeah. things like that. Yeah. That's, and that's exactly my point. And, and, what, and that's the reason for that is, again, they, they just rely on the promoter uh, and they just don't care. I mean, they get the, they get the fee of the game. Uh, they get all travel expenses covered. Um, and that's it. Uh, but I do think there's a huge missed opportunity there in terms of building brand equity. And Walter, I know you have a lot of insight on this one, too. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I, I agree with all your points. The, the only thing I wanted to add is that a lot of these clubs uh, aren't really don't understand how to activate in the U.S. market. And so, 
you know, whether it be like setting up, you know, pop-up shops outside the stadium where they can sell, uh, you know, merchandise, um, doing kind of community, community engagement activities with U.S. sponsors that may have, you know, um, some kind of a presence in, in that market. So you think of uh, Chivas and Pepsi, for example, trying to having like a, uh, a Pepsi event, um, outside of the stadium or at a, at a convenience store or something like that to really, uh, and have like a player appearance and do giveaways. And, and we, what's really been done well is actually through Soccer United Marketing with, um, and Guillermo knows a lot about this too, uh, with the Mexican national team. So anytime the Mexican national team um, is gonna play, let's say San Antonio, for example, um, Wells Fargo is a, um, a sponsor of the Mexican national team. And so they'll usually have a Liga Mex, uh, or it's not Liga Mex, excuse me, former national team player um, play, or excuse me, show up a day before the match and show up at a Wells Fargo branch and do a player appearance and, and activate that way. And so that's things like that are stuff that Chivas and America and other clubs can do. But they rely a lot on the promoters because the promoters know that market a little bit better and they kind of rely on the, the local sponsors to kind of see what they do. But they're not a lot, not enough is done and they're not really maximizing their value. Can you imagine if uh, for every time you bought a tickets, a ticket to Chivas Friendly, they gave you like a free month to Chivas TV so you try it out? I mean, yeah, <laughs> there's, there's just so many, there's just so many ideas that can be innovative, low hanging fruit that, that they can do just like that. And it's just not being capitalized which is which is really a shame and i think it goes down to something that i said before is that a lot of league mx clubs have the mentality that whatever we do in the u in mexico in terms of marketing and, and outreach we can apply it in the u.s market because you know a lot of most of our fans are mexican anyway so if we can market to them we can market to them the same way as we do in mexico that's actually completely wrong the, the when when immigrants move here, they, they they almost assimilate to a different type of culture, and the way that you have to approach them is very different. And not not to mention, most of the times you have to start doing it in English now, and so um, it's something that that's almost lost in the minds of, of clubs executives in terms of marketing in the U.S. And most clubs well, have a, a you know a player who can speak English. I mean, it's not like you're going yeah. to Russia or anything, right? Well, Sorry, Guillermo, I, I think I cut you off. I think Kimmer was going to say something. Yeah, no, I was going to say that. I mean, we're, we're talking about complex things like putting with their friendly game together, right? But it also goes, the same applies to something simple as just your Facebook channels, right? Or social media channels in general. Uh, they could be maximizing uh, their brand equity by just having a solid sound strategy uh, here in the U.S. in terms of actually creating English uh, English content and um, I mean I'm starting to think I don't think there's any club actually doing that except Santos that uh, they kind of have a, 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 a social strategy but um, I think that that goes a lot uh, with what we're saying is it's just not the the big things also the simple things are they're not being done even something as simple like um uh, Clásico Nacional. I, I mean, I'm sure hardcore Chivas fans and Club America fans wouldn't mind watching like their U17 games play on Facebook Live or something. Something simple like that. That'd be that's something that English clubs do. They'll show their U21 teams play on like Arsenal TV, Manchester United TV. I mean, Chivas. They have Chivas TV. Do something with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, and I don't, and I don't, I'm not an expert on Chivas TV, but from what I'm from what I know, I don't think 
Chivas TV is ready to be applied here in the U.S. I think they have some network that still have to figure it out. So even if they wanted to do it here in the U.S., I don't think they're set up for, for that as of right now. But you can get a subscription to Chivas TV if you live in the U.S. still. You just can't get the games. You can. I think they do. Sometimes they do pregame shows. I believe, but gotcha. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, everything except the games. Yeah, but even something. I mean, just just some more content or like I was like we were just talking, Walter. If I buy a Chivas ticket through Ticketmaster to a friendly, throw me a free month because if I'm a Chivas fan and I pay eighty dollars to see their B team play, chances are I'm not gonna blink when their chart when my free trial is over and I'm playing and I'm paying ten dollars a month. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and I mean something to that that could be that could be done as well as uh, so the Mexican national team has uh, basically gotten two you know quote unquote influencers like young fans uh, a, a male and a female I forgot their forget their names but um, they're they're kind of like on the scene behind the scenes of what Mexico the Mexican national team is doing talking about the town that they're in or the city or whatever and even doing something like that for like Chivas TV for example where they have someone like an influencer but that speaks English that understands Chivas that understands their history so when they're traveling on in the US having an influencer travel with them so they can really resonate with the fans that speak in English something like that would go a long way to uh, helping that could be someone that they, just an intern they can just you know publish out a, a wanted ad uh through through their channels and say hey we need someone in the u.s that speaks english that's willing to intern with us for you know for a few weeks while we're on we, we do our u.s tour and, and someone with you know media experience and you know whether it be a college student or something else like stuff like that in my opinion is low-hanging fruit that they can really take advantage of and really uh, start to create more of a loyalty with uh, with the younger Mexican American demographic. They may not speak English very, or excuse me, may not speak Spanish very well. And uh, recently, uh, we want we this one of the topics we wanted to touch on, but we t- you keep talking about missed opportunities. Um, Leon signing Donovan, not having a working website, not having not being able to order a jersey from the U.S. I mean, just not even having an English Twitter account. Did they miss the boat on this one? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, one thing to to to, uh, to realize is that this negotiation didn't take a day or a week. It probably happened over, you know, quite a, quite a few months, maybe even. And uh, even at the point where they realized, okay, this is actually going to happen, that was probably at least a few weeks. And so, you think that the marketing team would have been able to identify and say, okay. This is going to happen. What can we do to really maximize? And this isn't so much re- reaching out to Mexican American fans in the U.S. This is more the you know Caucasian you know mainstream soccer fan in the U.S. that you know see Landon Donovan as an idol, as a, as a, as a you know a legend. And so, what are we going to do to capitalize on this moment? The, the minute, at bare minimum, what they could have done was have a joint uh, press release in English and in Spanish. Um, even just set up a, a Facebook page or an English language Twitter page, and at the and again at the very least have a working uh, paragraph. Or excuse me, working a website, which uh, as far as I know, it's still under construction. And so, um, you know, it's just oh man. And so, because at that point, everyone's interested. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't, I've never heard of Club Leon. Let me find out more about its history. Let me find out where they play, where can I get a jersey? None of that was available if you were a mainstream English-speaking soccer fan. So you had to do a lot of research maybe on Wikipedia, and even there that, that information might be spotty because Club Leon isn't necessarily a prominent club either in Mexico or beyond. And so it was just so many missteps that happened, and, and it's an opportunity that they'll never get back. 
And so they might be able to capitalize on some of it over the next next year, with which is how long this contract is is for. But uh, they'll never be able to get that full impact that they could have gotten if should had they started correctly when when that uh, when that announcement was made. Uh, Guillermo, could you ever see a, an MLS club signing a Mexico player not having anything in English or anything in Spanish ready to go? Yeah, exactly. Right. That's uh, I mean that's the right contrast right there. Um, I think that goes with um, what I was gonna say to complement Walter's point. I, I mean, in, in Leon's defense, it, it's, it's it's not only them. I mean, it's it's not a Leon thing. It's mm-hmm. not that yeah. they were um, you know not prepared or didn't execute a a sound strategy. You see that across the board. Um, and I hate to say that, but uh, I I fully believe it's it's just the industry is just behind in terms of strategy, in terms of planning, in terms of putting together those strategies to really, really connect with the fan, really create brand equity. Um, I mean, the perfect example is, I mean, you have a college industry here in the United States where, um, I mean, everything gets executed um, to the T. I mean, just, uh, I, I keep thinking about just the national championship game that we have a, a few weeks ago. Um, I mean, the moment, the moment the final play takes place, five seconds later, you have Fanatics announcing championship gear. You have Alabama's website completely changing the whole look and view and graphics of the website. You have social media channels uh, really portraying the emotion of the team, uh, you know, being national champions. And I, again, it's, it's and I'm pretty sure Alabama was quickly asking for donations right after the game too. Oh, exactly. oh yeah. So I think that that just goes to show it's just to me it's just a professionalization of the industry. I, I think we're we're behind across the board, uh, and I would even say it's not only in Mexico. I mean, I think the U.S. That's the re- there's a reason why the U.S. is a leader in sports marketing, a sports business in, in general, and these little things uh, I think clearly um, conclude that. And and to add, if if I may, just to kind of add to Guillermo's point going along this with us not just college football the nfl the nba but also even mls and you know say what you will about the quality on the pitch but off the pitch in terms of their marketing their access to players to coaches even the commissioner who who's very open to speaking with the media to getting interviews um epl clubs euro clubs the biggest leagues the soccer leagues in the world are taking notice and they're coming to the u.s to, to find out how mls does it so that they can improve so a lot of these leagues from a marketing perspective are taking a page out of mls's book and and duplicating what they're doing in the marketing because they, they understand how to do it and they've been pretty successful at it and one, one funny example to that is um i was just in in las vegas last week at a, a sports licensing show and you could see, I mean, I probably saw, I want to count probably like 30 to 40 products of the new LA, LA club uh, where, where Carlos L- Velas is going to be playing. Yeah, LAFC. So, uh-huh. LAFC. So just think about it. I mean, it's a team that hasn't even debuted on the pitch. And there's already product and gear out there for, for, for fans to start consuming, for fans to start engaging. Uh, and I think, again, that just goes to show the strategy on how well-prepared uh, these guys are. Yeah, for everything everything off the field, I mean, people give MLS crap for the product on the field, but they run circles around a lot of sports leagues, not just League MX. Like, they know what they're doing with their marketing. I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever used MLS Live, 
it's an amazing product for just watching games. Just with the access on the field, they know what they're doing, marketing wise. Like it would be smart for a Liga MX club to link up with them and just learn. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And like I said, right now what's happening is, you know, so the Mexican national team, uh, or excuse me, Soccer United Marketing, some has a commercial rights to um for the mexican national team in the u.s and so the mexican national team just kind of stands back and lets some do its thing in the u.s and it's almost like liga mx is treating univision as though univision was some for them and lets them do everything which which in this case liga mx needs to be a lot more active in in getting that their message out and creating an identity uh you know in, in mexico it's siente tu liga but there's really no identity outside of that. They need to create kind of a tagline that's 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 approachable that that fans can engage with in the U.S. in the English language, and that's stuff that they should be at the forefront of. Um, are there any U.S.-based companies that are um, heavily investing in Liga MX clubs that you guys can talk about? Yeah, well, I see. I I defer to you. Companies in general? In general uh, just America? just like American-based companies who are kind of seeing the light and, you know, they're putting some money behind Liga MX, whether it's just, just even just a jersey sponsorship or anything. <clears throat> well, it's, I think that, you, yeah, you, you definitely start to see uh, some instances. Um, I'll mention one. It's uh, one of the biggest um, mobile car companies. I, I was just having a conversation a couple of weeks ago. And how they're they already a sponsor of many teams in Mexico because they are also in the Mexican market. So they were really uh, they're looking into heavily investing in Liga MX and make it a multi-country sponsorship. So again, they they, they get it. They understand um, that it, it it makes sense that it, it it's a huge following here in the U.S. And in this particular case, it just happens that they also have presence in Mexico, right? So um, it would totally make sense for for them to take that route. Um, but in general, uh, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of multicultural companies that get it, uh, that either consult uh, for companies and, and, and try to set the right strategies. I just don't know if general marketing in general is there yet. Uh, and I got to go back to my point in terms of there's a lot of companies that still do not know what League MX uh, is. Um, and there, there's there's some companies. I mean, I, and it goes back to the whole soccer thing, right? I mean, wh- where is soccer here in the United States? Is it, is it really growing? Is it stagnant? Is it gonna be uh, the king in, in, in here in the U.S. at some point? Um, I mean, t- today I don't know what Walter you think about this, but uh, I, I do feel that there's still we're probably one generation away from soccer really gaining way more traction and. Uh, more precedent here in the U.S. I mean, to, to date, I still see a lot of companies that don't even know what's the difference between Chivas, Barcelona, and U.S. soccer. Yeah, uh, I agree. I, I, you, you really have to explain them in detail. Okay, so this is how soccer works. I mean, forget about Mexican national team, U.S. national team. Just explain them like soccer one-on-one. Like, this is, these are national teams. National teams play in World Cups. These are club teams. Club teams are not playing World Cups, you know. Uh, it sounds silly, but uh, I, I I think that's where general market is right now. Uh, so we're probably one generation away uh, from soccer really starting to gain more more momentum. And I, th- I think with that, I think what will happen is I think why uh, uh, Guillermo says 
you know, the next generation is, I think what will happen is this up and coming generation, you know, millennials, especially those that follow soccer more than other uh, traditional sports. Uh, once they're in those influence influencer positions, when they're executives, when they're in those management roles, as they go through college now, then they're the ones that are going to be making those decisions. They're going to say, "Hey, soccer is actually a pretty big deal. This is what needs to happen. This is the the new this is the new America, so to speak, right?" And so I think that's why we'll take uh, a generation because these executives are so used to you know either baseball or football or the NBA. Uh, they think that this is what's driving you know their product lines or whatever. And so um, when that change of guard happens, so to speak, then you'll really start to see more changes. 100% agree with that. In terms of growth, where do you guys see Liga MX growing? Do you think it's kind of um, maxed out in the terms of just reaching its core audience? It's Mexican-Americans, first generation, second generation. You think it needs, for it to grow, you think it needs to go beyond that core? Or do you think there's still some more room to grow in, within just the Hispanic or Hispanic sector? Um, well, I, I'll, I'll just jump in real quick first. Uh, yeah, I, I think I don't think they've quite plateaued yet, but I think they're going to get there pretty soon. Um, just because, um, and this is just generally speaking, even with, for example, with Univision, um, they're going to have to start adapting their programming too, because in 10, 5, 5 10, 15, 20 years, you're going to start seeing less people watching programming in Spanish because immigration is dropping. Uh, the children of immigrants in the U.S. are speaking less and less uh, Spanish. And so that's going to be the rising generation that Univision is going to have to capture. And so how are you going to do it? You're not going to be able to show the same telenovelas anymore. You're not going to be able to show the same programming that they get through Televisa from Mexico. You're going to have to completely change that. So that also includes sports. And so with sports, you know, with Liga MX, um, Again, the whole thing goes back to thinking that, okay, we have Mexicans in Mexico and the U.S., so we can do the same thing that's that's being done in Mexico, and, and it'll resonate just as much in, in, in the U.S. But, um, you know, fans, you know, that, you know, the children of immigrants, Mexican-Americans, that they, while culturally they might still be, uh, you know, tied to the roots in terms of foods or values, etc. But when it comes to teams, yeah, they might still follow Club America Chivas, but if they can't understand what's going on, if their club isn't speaking, they're not going to spend money on them. They're going to say, you know what, I'm going to go watch an LAFC match because it's, it's right in my backyard and they speak to me in my language and I can identify with them. They resonate with me. And so, or that, or an EPL club or, or anything else. And so, if Liga MX doesn't adapt to these changes demographics in the U.S., what's going to happen is in the long run, they're going to become more irrelevant uh, in the U.S. and abroad, and they're just going to be a domestic league, and that's all they're going to be known for in Mexico. And MLS eventually will overtake them once their quality improves on the pitch, and they start winning, you know, CONCACAF Champions League, Matt, or excuse me, uh, CONCACAF Champions Leagues. EPL is going to continue their onslaught in the U.S., same with, uh, you know, Bundesliga and La Liga, and so they're the ones that are making moves, right? And they have league offices set up in New York and abroad, and Liga MX doesn't have any presence in terms of staff and, and any headquarters outside of Mexico. They, they really need to set up a, a, an office in the U.S. to really understand what's happening there, what they need to do to, to progress. And so they're, they're going to get to the point where that plateau, and if they don't do anything, then they're going to quickly uh, you know, lose relevance in the U.S. Well, uh, I see it a little bit different, but I definitely agree with 
um, most of your point, Walter. I think <clears throat> to me is because, <clears throat> sorry, because they don't have a sound strategy and, and they haven't really put the effort because, I mean, that's really, that, I mean, that's really what you can summarize. I mean, they haven't put the effort in the U.S., uh, but if you think about it, they still have great ratings. They still have some uh, type of um, commercial agreements here in the U.S. So to me, they're, 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 they're a sleeping giant. I mean, the moment they decide to really, um, you know, really invest uh, in the property, really uh, create some brand equity, really go out there and to Walter's point, set up an office here in the U.S., uh, understand the consumer, understand the Hispanic um, population, try to get, try to connect with outside of the Hispanic population, right? Because I think that's also key. Um, the moment they decide to do that, I do think they, 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 they that the talent is there, uh, the product is there, uh, and they should be able to compete with many of the domestic, domestic leagues out there. So um, uh, I think that's, from my point, I think, I think it just they just haven't put the effort. Yeah, and and and, it, and I forgot that point. Guillermo's right. You, that's just part of the, the, the market they need to capture is the Mexican American market speakers. They also need to, and that's why I said the identity. They need to create an identity, to be able to sell that to mainstream soccer fans in the U.S. to give them a reason to watch not only Landon Donovan, uh, Omar Gonzalez, and other U.S. nationals that have played in Mexico, but just to watch this league in general because it is an exciting league. It's a lot of fun. There's a lot of drama. There's a lot of controversy. You you know, there's so much going on. There's so much turnover. Every season, uh, you have a chance. You have two champions in a year, so even if your team doesn't win the fall season, you can always say there's next season, and that's, you know, a month away again. And so, you think MX is year-round. It's very exciting, and Liga MX really needs to say, hey, this is a league that you should be watching. It's fun. Um, it's exciting. It's it's passionate. The fan uh, the fan bases are incredible, and sell that to soccer mainstream fans that, that crave soccer that want that want other options as well. And and if you can hook them, then they'll also become fans. Yeah, I agree with everything you guys are saying. There's like to your point, uh, Walter. Yeah, they it, they're gonna plateau eventually, but at the same time, they've been so inefficient. Guillermo is also right. You know, it's like there's so much of the market they just don't have in reach because they just they don't they're not doing anything it's kind of sad yeah yeah but to your point if they keep pumping out the same novelas my abuelita is still gonna watch them so it doesn't really matter bro they're still gonna my mom's still gonna watch them <laughs> we'll still watch the la, la rosa de lute oh uh, dude if they remake if they remake marimar oh man it's over number one right there <laughs> uh when you talk about growth um we kind of talked about the, the tv deal like um if Liga MX were to do the TV deal similar to what they did in Spain, um, a little bit of that TV deal in Spain trickles down to the second division and the women's league. Um, I know the women's league. Does the women's league even have a TV deal in Mexico? Do you guys know? Um, no. So it, it's it's similar to the men's in terms of uh, there's no bundling of rights, right? Every team negotiates um, their own deals. Um, hey, sorry to cut you off, but wouldn't wouldn't that wouldn't the women's league be the perfect time to experiment and do a hey let's bundle the TV rights deal for this? Yeah, no, no, I, 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 yeah, it's certainly a safe uh, place to test, right? That's for sure. Um, but at the same time, I think there's still some major discrepancies uh, in the women's league. Yeah, they still have to figure it out before something like that would actually make sense. 
like for example, not 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 a lot of the teams play in stadiums. Um, you know, not a lot of the teams sell actual tickets. So there's when it comes to ratings and when it comes to viewership, there's still a lot of unknown variables out there. Um, so that that makes servers a little, a little bit more complicated. Well, the Mexico U20 team beat the U.S. yesterday to win the CONCACAF U20 championship. So, I'm mean, a lot of people were directly saying the league, the league is the reason why Mexico won. So that's that's always exciting to see. Absolutely, huh? no, I, I've I've seen a lot of those comments, and I think it's, it's definitely um, it has definitely contributed and and and, and helped. I mean, it, 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 it's absolutely the case. Um, I also think that. Um, a lot of the players uh, from that specific team, uh, they, they come from U15, U17 um, support systems. Some of them play in the U.S. Like the goalkeeper, Emilia Varado, she's from, she's from Texas, actually. Uh, she plays for TCU. So this is a combination of uh, just the federation getting smart in terms of recruiting here in the United States and then also having a league where domestic players play and train on a weekly basis as opposed to just um, one month before the tournament. So it, it actually it, it absolutely contributes. And I'm not knocking the Mexican Women's League because America's have been the most successful women's in women's soccer since women's soccer became a real thing in the 80s. And the their league is like in the fourth season. It's the longest running women's league in the U.S. So it's, it's tough. Women's sports is a tough sell right now, but... I'm glad to see uh, Liga MX is uh, is trying it out. But um, from Liga MX to the national team, I know Guillermo, this is your, right up your alley. Um, can you talk a little bit of between the licensing, the differences between leagues, whether it's EPL, MLS, and then licensing uh, L3? Um, absolutely. So uh, I think the, the biggest difference is when you think about uh, there's some interesting differences too. So let me put it this way: when it comes the 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 way La Liga does it, the way EPL does it, most of those leagues have a licensing division, right? Meaning they actually have the rights to bundle the different teams and then offer the license, right? Uh, I mean, and that's a U.S. U.S. model that they dominate. Um, extremely well. I mean, you see that at NFL, you see that in the NBA, um, you see that in, in MLS as well, uh, meaning I want to purchase a license. You actually purchase an entire license of MLS, and that includes all of the different teams. That comes with logos, that comes with brand assets. Um, it, it might or might not include some players, right? But at the end of the day, you are acquiring the license league, uh, the, the league license, and it includes all, all of the different teams. Uh, what makes it so complicated with Liga MX is that does not happen, right? That they don't have that kind of structure. It goes back to the same situation that we were discussing before in terms of the TV rights. If you want America's license, you have to negotiate that directly with America. If you want the Chivas license, you have to negotiate that directly with Chivas, uh, and so on and so forth. So it makes it a little bit complicated to actually penetrate the U.S. market because the, the licensees here or, or the, the, the companies, uh, the entities that would, that would actually purchase the license, the first question that they ask is, okay, how, how many teams does this include, right? And the question is, well, no. I mean, if you want America, you want Chivas, there just have to be separate deals. 
Um, and the thing to realize is uh, it actually has um, secondary effects and secondary consequences that make it extremely hard to penetrate the market. I'll, I'll just put an example out there. Um, when it comes to MLS, I mean, you go to a retailer, let's say Walmart, right? And you as a licensee, you have a distribution of 15 different teams. So it's easier to go to, MLS, to, to Walmart and say, okay, hey guys, I have 15 different teams. Just negotiate with me and you can have products for 15 different cities, right? Um, if, you're an, if, if you are a, a League MX team, you don't have that kind of leverage. You know, you're just negotiating um, uh, on your own behalf. And then the question comes up, okay, America, if you're an America licensed, where, where are the biggest um, um, clusters of America fans in, in the U.S.? Um, they, might, they might have that analytics or, or they might not. Now, <clears throat> when it comes to the Mexican national team, um, there's no doubt that it's the Hispanic brand out there is the, is the Hispanic or the Mexican-American brand that really connects uh, emotionally with the fans. Um, folks know that. I mean, the licensees know that and, and they show interest. What, what is extremely interesting is that once they have the license, many of those companies uh, do not know how to engage with the Mexican-American uh, fans. So that has been extremely challenging. Um, but again, it's, it's a challenge that uh, we've seen some development throughout the last couple of, of months. Uh, I mean, we started the license a year and a half ago uh, with zero clients here in the U.S., zero licensees. We're upwards in the 35, almost 40 different licensees right now. Uh, so there's a lot of product, like a lot of official Mexican national team product that's going to start hitting up retailers and points of sale during the next couple of months, right before the World Cup. So uh, I'm very excited to see how that really penetrates um, the Mexican consumer in general. Now, did you see a bump in the number of licensees after the U.S. went out? Did you, do you think that might have affected it, inflated it a little bit? Um, so I've seen, um, both effects. I mean, I still remember that, um, that specific day. I mean, as the game was developing, I had licensees texting me, uh, at that moment in terms of, I am five minutes away from being out of World Cup class, or I'm five minutes away from really ruining my, uh, two year plan in terms of merchandise. So, uh, there's no doubt that there's, there's a lot of licensees out there that uh, are still uh, trying to recover from that. Um, he blew out a lot of projections, a lot of budgets in terms of um, U.S. soccer merchandise. Um, uh, sorry to cut you off real quick, but do you know? No, no. Are you at liberty to say? Do you know if um, if U.S. soccer and MLS licensees are kind of bundled together at times? Uh, U.S. soccer. Yes, at times they are. Okay, yes. <clears throat> just curious. At times they are. I mean, they, they do sell them as separate properties, right? But uh, mm-hmm. uh, you're negotiating essentially with almost the same entity, so yes, it could be bundled, very easy. Um, now, what I was gonna say is, uh, it, it did affect um, the Mexican national team license when you had licensees that were counting on selling both properties at the same time. And I do have a lot of those examples where there were just companies that they, they had both licenses, right? They had a U.S. soccer, they had the Mexican national team license, and their intent was to set up this place at retailers across the country 
uh, with both properties showing, which which makes total sense, right? Um, a lot of those companies are no longer pursuing any World Cup related uh, merchandise because a year soccer didn't qualify. So that directly affects uh, the Mexican national team license or property right there. Uh, at the same time, you have the other scenario where um, some licensees were like, okay, now that the U.S. soccer is out, let's put all of our different, um, you know, all of our efforts into, into, the, into the Mexican national team. So, uh, again, we're experiencing both, both sides of the equation there. Yeah, that was a crazy day when the U.S. didn't qualify. <laughs> A lot, a lot of mixed emotions. A lot of mixed emotions for Mexican soccer fans too. Who's like, should I feel bad? Should I feel happy? Like, a lot of conflicted uh, emotions. Um, do you guys remember when Mexico was on the verge of not qualifying for 2014? And I forget which organization or who put it out, but said something along the, along the lines of, if Mexico doesn't advance to the World Cup, they're lo- like 400 million dollars of Mexico's economy or something will be affected or something like that. Do you guys remember that? I, I do. I, I, again, well, you might know what those figures are because it was much. It was a much bigger deal in Mexico. Obviously, it would have been a national catastrophe if Mexico wouldn't have qualified. Like you think about how how the reaction of a lot of soccer fans thinking that it's the end of the world, but like multiply that by twenty, and then you can imagine how the Mexico as a country would have felt not qualifying for the World Cup. Like people have already outside just in mainstream sports and ESPN or whatever, like everyone's already forgotten about the US and the US not qualifying. They probably won't come until the actual World Cup starts. So um, it's yeah, it's 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 just crazy comparing the two countries for how they react to this type of a, a disaster or catastrophe. Yeah, I think there's 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 a social aspect and then there's a business aspect, right? Um, I think to, to Walter's point, I mean, I, I think we, we spoke about this one, Terry, when, when as soon as that happened, uh, the reaction of the, of the U.S. fan base or, or, or the reaction of the country in general, to me, was astonishing. Like, not seeing the news in, in media streams, or it, it was just shocking. I mean, I, uh, if that would have happened in Mexico four years, uh, four years ago, we, we, uh, I have no idea what would have happened. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, we'd have been... Uh, um, a complete disaster. I mean, uh, it, it hits the um, the socioeconomic, the socioeconomics. I mean, just just the decline in general in the country. Uh, and then again, that goes beyond business. Now, as far as business, yes, it's, it's uh, you have companies uh, across the country that again create their budgets and their project plans and everything around the World Cup. So there is millions and millions and millions of dollars invested into. Um, yeah, into the Mexican national team here in the U.S. and in Mexico, so not qualifying for the World, not qualifying for the World Cup, it w- would have been a massive blowout, and I'm happy that we didn't have to experience that. <laughs> I'm sure you would have had many sleepless nights if Mexico didn't qualify. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Um, can you talk about some of the challenges of uh, licensing? Is it I read our are more people taking advantage of wanting to be in, with Mexico, selling Mexican products, whether it's even just cups, candles, whatever? I mean, like you were saying earlier, like once Alabama wins, there's a million Alabama products. So do you think more, like between 2014 and 2018, would you say there's more licensees like trying to make F, uh, products with Mexico logos on them? Um, I mean, absolutely. I mean, we've grown the licensee portfolio um, 
like I said, by 35. So there's a lot of products out there um, that are now official, the Mexican national team. Um, it goes too with working together with Zoom because a lot of, uh, you know, wh when you, today, if you go to a Mexico game, there's a lot of, uh, um, you know, piracy stuff out there in terms of products that are not legal, right? So that affects the licensing in terms of being able to put some product out there and, and, and just feel secure. So uh, a lot of that has been, uh, I don't want to say uh, fixed, but at least addressed um, over the last couple of months or the last year um to date yeah there's a lot of products out there that fans can really feel identified with um I mean, from candles to drinkware uh to banners um i mean to towels um you have bedding um you have accessories of all different kinds and uh, and sorts so there's a lot of product out there that is, is going to continue to come up in the next couple of months and, uh, and i'm sure the mexican five is going to be extremely excited now there's the program itself it's still a long way i mean while the, while it has grown and it has developed tremendously over the past 18 months uh, we're still very 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 far away from having the structure of, of mls licensing for example nfl licensing i mean we're years ahead uh, years away from something like that but it's a step in the right direction um it's it, it, it's funny but it, it's also um, it goes back to the, the same point that we've been discussing is a lot of it is educating uh, the retailer, educating the licensee, uh, showing them uh, why the Mexican national team has more viewerships than an NFL playoff game. I know mean, it sounds crazy, but it, it, those are the facts, right? Uh, has more viewership than an NHL game, than any uh, MLS game uh, that you can put out there. Um, and when you start to explain those things to the decision makers, I, th I think they, they start to get it or at least comprehend that, okay, this is a, this is a big property, right? Uh, and once they, wait, once they understand that, now the next question is, what do I do with it, right? So th there's a market out there for companies and just people in general that understand the Mexican-American um, fan here in the U.S. that, that, that really uh, will serve really well for, for these entities for sure. So that, the opportunity is, is huge. Um, and without going into numbers or anything, like a typical uh, licensee structure, is it something where the FMF gets a straight up, hey, here's X amount of money, we'll go make this and we'll keep it? Or is it typical like a royalty where FMF will get like X percent of sales on a product? Or is it just vary? No, I think it's a combination of different yeah. models. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's a rep share structure, there's some upfront fee involved and um so yeah i mean there's there, it's a combination of different factors i will say this i've gone to mexico games for like 15 20 years and every year i feel like their little football town in front of like the stadium gets bigger and bigger with more and more sponsors when oh you go yeah to, football you, fiesta yeah the football fiesta cities or whatever they call them like anytime mm -hmm. usually when i go it's usually like a one of those some games because you know mexico's got that deal but it's just Home Depot, Chase, all Tecate. It's just, and they do a pretty good job of getting the message out when you go to those little football fiestas. Well, that goes with what Walter was saying. I mean, that's that's some right there. I mean, they when it comes to operating games, I mean, they they do a tremendous tremendous job. I mean, they're they're, they're experts at doing that, and I think it shows uh, to your point, Raul, 
when you see Mexican, I mean, you, there's a lot of activations around the stadium. You don't even see that in Mexico at any game. So it, it's pretty entertaining. Um, obviously, you have the tailgate factor here in the U.S., which is unique to the American sports culture. Uh, you, you don't have that in Mexico, for instance, or, or anywhere else in the world, for that matter. So I think that that just adds another layer of, um, I don't want to say complexity, but definitely entertain, ent- entertainment for sure. It's just, yeah. And then um, I don't know if you guys remember a couple years ago when Mexico signed a deal with Fanatics. So there's actually an official store of the Mexican national team in the U.S. Yeah, I think it's, I think the website. Yeah, I think the website is uh, usmextour.com. I think uh, Guillermo, you might know better there than me on that. Well, there's 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 two, right? There's there's the Mex Tour that that's more like the sum related uh, website. Oh, right, right. Uh huh. And then there's a there's a store dot dot us. Correct. That is operated by Fanatics. Correct. Yeah. So I mean, this is just it's one official site, but. Five years ago, four, three years ago, like I had to, got, I had to scour the internet to try to find anything Mexico besides a jersey. It's true, or just go to a, any black market, right? Your local black market, you could find a, a knockoff. Yeah, a knockoff chicharito, half Chivas, half USA, or half yeah. Mexico. Exactly. <laughs> but well, you bring a lot of good points about, and I know a lot of people rip on uh, the sum deal because oh, Mexico plays these moleros, blah blah blah, but. If it wasn't for the sum deal, I don't. I mean, I don't think the FMF would go out of their way to try to set in somewhat of this structure for these deals or even these marketing opportunities. I don't even want to imagine the FMF without the sum deal at this point after this conversation. Well, and, and not only that, but I mean, you have to think about you know, there's no other national team in the whole world that has the deal that the Mexican national team has, where they're the home team in another country, and that they can have five to six guaranteed matches. You, uh, every single year, in in another market, and so um, as pop, it just it just shows to show you how big the Mexican national team brand is, and uh, you know you even just looking at their social media. I think um, on last count, I think they they have the highest number of Twitter followers and Facebook uh, engagement um, out of any other nationals. Not not club, but national team. Uh, you know, even they, they outpace. The Brazilian national team, the German national team, and others. So, it just shows you that they're they're a a big brand. Uh, you know, now if now if they can only match that, you know, their 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 brand off the pitch, or they can only match it with winning a few more games, getting past the quinto partido in a World Cup, then then that would go be a little nice for for Mexican fans, right? Hey, maybe world champions. Why not? Yeah, why not? Yeah. Hey, if Andres Andres Guardado believes it, there's no reason why anyone else shouldn't, right? Hey man, if Costa Rica can make it to the semifinals, why not? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, but it's just crazy. Uh, I guess to wrap up on Mexico, just I mean, I don't know of any other national team or any other club that can say, "Hey, we're gonna play in Tennessee in four months. Tickets go on sale. Who are you gonna play? I, I don't. We don't know yet." And then we sell thirty tickets before they even announce the opponent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they played over here in Utah three years ago against Trinidad and Tobago and uh, the ticket sold out in, uh, in like two or three days. Um, so even with the, you know, being an opponent, like, I mean, not speaking anything wrong against them, but just, you know, not, not like a high profile national team, like Argentina or something like that. They, they still sold out in three days, no matter where, no matter how bad the national team is doing, uh, form wise, whatever market they're going to play in, 
um, they're, they're going to do well. People are going to buy tickets. They want to watch their national team. There's just an emotional tie and loyalty for, especially for, you know, immigrants uh, from Mexico and even their children to, to, to the Mexican national team. I, I tell this story uh, all the time to my, to my licensees, not even the Patriots can do that. I mean, if you would take the Patriots out of their hometown and travel them to Texas, to California, they wouldn't even fill the stadiums. So it, it's, it, it's such a powerful brand um, to, to that point in terms of just being able to um, engage enough fan base to fill any stadium regardless of the location. Um, and you would think, uh, because I remember having conversations and in, just in different locations, because I like to, to, to talk to just different fans, and a lot of the fans don't even live there. I mean, when, when Mexico play, there, there is planning that takes place in a lot of Mexican-American households in terms of, I don't care if I have to drive six or eight hours, I would say that I drive just to see the Mexican national team. So, uh, I mean, I, I, I could be wrong, but I don't think there's any property out there in the United States with that kind of emotional connection. I just, the one thing I wish they would do, if it's, if it's, uh, if it's not a FIFA date, don't advertise that Chicharito is going to be there. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've been to those games where I know, I mean, I, I follow the team. I know yeah. the Europeans are going to be there, but... I I go there and my cousin's like, oh, why isn't Chicharito here? I'm like, I don't know. They're like, well, they're like he's on the ticket, he's on the the banners. I'm like, well, I'm sorry, he's not gonna be there. But you know, I I I get that now. In all fairness, like it's it's extremely hard for some to know that, right? I mean, they have to put together a marketing plan months in advance in order to create those prints and that promotional material. I mean, the list comes out two to two weeks before. So it's extremely hard for, for organizers or promoters to know those those kind of things with enough anticipation to actually not try to deceive fans. But but I get it, and I, I, I totally see your point. I know, but I'm like, like this January friendly, I wouldn't be shocked if there's Chicharito stuff around the San Antonio friendly when we all know he's not going to get called up. It's the middle of the EPL season, but I, I know what you're saying. I'm not... I'm not discounting the fact that these marketing plans... I mean, I'm sure they use the same template or whatever for the... You know, for, the year, you know, but it's just funny because people will show up and where's Chicharito? Where's Guardado? It's like they're in Europe. They're not coming to <laughs> to play Bosnia and Herzegovina at the Alamo Dome. <laughs> but it, I'm pretty sure this game, this game for, tickets went on sale months before the opponent was even announced, too, right? I think they put the tickets on sale in November, if I'm not mistaken, but I, I don't remember. Yeah, late last year. Oh man, it's gonna be a good year. But um, anything you guys want to touch on before we sign off? Um, no, I mean I th- I think uh, you know I'm I'm very bullish on Liga MX just for its potential. But um, as as kind of Guillermo has been saying, like they need to they really need to take action and understand um, you know what's really recognize their power and their relevance in the U.S. and not rest on, on their laurels and say, well, Univision will take care of it. No, they need to really be proactive and start planting the seeds now, start taking action now because in 5, 10, 15 years, um, they might lose relevance if they don't act on on really engaging fans in English, specifically the Mexican-American uh, crowd that's not speaking Spanish and also the mainstream uh, soccer fan. And then, you know, the whole TV rights scene, which we've talked about as well. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, and I, I think, 
again, talking to what Guillermo was saying, which was, was really great, is just the re-education and teaching retailers about the power of the Hispanic consumer base and the Mexican national team. I think once you start seeing these, you know, millennials come out of college and grow up in these roles, you're going to see more, you know, Hispanic marketers and executives. You're going to see more of that shift and start seeing soccer, you know, more readily available in terms of merchandise and other things. And that'll ultimately help the sport grow. But, you know, it's kind of going to have to be a team effort on all sides from the the teams to the, to the leagues and other properties and agencies, collaborative effort to really uh, make, make this flourish down the road. Uh, anything for you, Guillermo? Yep. No, I, I think I want to mention a quick story that goes with what Walter was saying is um, it was late, late last year, I was talking with a, with a good friend of mine and we were, we were talking about similar topics and um, it just hit me that, uh, I mean, and it goes to the Mexican national team. Um, if the Mexican Soccer Federation does not do a little bit more to engage that second, third generation of, of Mexican-Americans, uh, a lot of those, uh, you know, the next generation would actually find themselves um, feeling more identified with U.S. soccer. So I do feel we're in that um, transition period where many new fans will actually start doubting in terms of, okay, am I going to identify with U.S. soccer or with the Mexican national team? So and, and there's a lot to do from the Mexican Soccer Federation to really engage uh, those kind of, of, of new of new fan base. And then the same thing applies with, with Liga MX to Walter's point. I think there's a lot of different things that uh, need to happen. Uh, the good thing is, obviously, we're having this discussion because it's relevant. Um, Liga MX is relevant in the U.S. and the Mexican national team is relevant in the U.S. And I think we're definitely in a good, uh, in a good position going forward. And isn't this the perfect time for the FMF, Liga MX, to... I mean, get their shit together. I mean, U.S. soccer is kind of in shambles. There's no World Cup for them. They're not playing a meaningful game for 2019. I mean, like, this is the time for them to, you know, re-engage those fans. Say, hey, come, come. Mexico has games. Come watch us play. Yep, absolutely. And especially if they have a great run in the World Cup, that's going to do wonders for them here in the U.S. as well, I think. Yeah, and I didn't think uh, anyone could have a more messed up, I guess, front office but than FMF and Liga MX owners, but I guess U.S. soccer, with their election coming up, it's kind of like, it's kind of a, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, well, <laughs> well, I guess to finish off, talk some a little non-U.S. soccer. Do you guys follow any other sports for fun, for funsies? Go ahead, Guillermo. Oh man, I mean, I, I'm yeah, I'm a sports sports fan in general. So yeah, I, I just watch a couple of days ago the Australian Open with Roger like, Feather. So yeah, tried to get myself informed in every sport except baseball. Don't ask me why, but I cannot <laughs> go to a baseball game unless unless it's the, the World Series. That's all. <laughs> so were you like happy that Houston won, or you didn't care? I, I didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> Now, which one's your preferred basketball team? You got Dallas. You got the you got the Rockets. You got San Antonio. Totally, I'm a LeBron James fan, so I'm gonna have to go with the Cavs. <laughs> what about you, Walter? Are you a big Utah Jazz fan or not? Nah? Uh, well, I mean, I'm originally from San Diego, California, so um, 
uh, at the t- back when I was growing up in the '90s. Um, for some reason, I I gravitated towards the LA sports. So I grew up being the Lakers, Dodgers, and Raiders fan back when they were the LA Raiders. And so, um, as you can imagine, when I moved to Utah, it was it was definitely being tough being a Lakers fan. But I yeah, I'm definitely not a Utah Jazz fan, and so I still wear my my Lakers colors proudly here. Uh, and and so do my kids too. So they're being indoctrinated the right way. But yeah, no, I, yeah, like like Ian Mo, I'm 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 a huge sports fan. I basically watch um, every sport you can imagine. Watched it growing up. Everything except cricket, basically. I I, I enjoy um, and and watch and, and participate even just recreationally with friends and stuff. And so um, uh, yeah, I, I I grew up with sports. That that literally, I'm actually kind of a boring person to be honest. Out because that sports is literally my work and my hobbies and my life. So I don't really have any other interests outside of sports. Well, the Clippers just traded Blake Griffin. So I don't think your kids are going to convert to Clippers fans anytime soon. No, no. <laughs> and then, I mean, I, I, that's, that's an interesting trade too, because you know, that was the cornerstone and they, they really had a good thing going. Now they lost Chris Paul and now Blake Griffin. And it's almost like they're re- regressing back to what they were for, you know, a better part of a decade, right? Or no longer than that in terms of, you know, taking a backseat to the Lakers in the market. So it's really going to be interesting to see what happens for them long-term. Yeah, and then, I mean, you never know. They still have a billionaire owner, so I'm sure they'll figure it out. Yeah, that's a good point. I think the, the, I read somewhere that some, for some reason, the Clippers think they can get a meeting with LeBron James this summer. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting. Yeah, so... <laughs> I don't think so, but we'll, but hey, it'll be fun though if it happens. We'll see. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I have my opinions of that, but I'll I'll just keep that to myself. So, <laughs> all right. Well, well, where can people find your work, Walter? Um. So, I mean, obviously, I, I'm on Twitter at the W Franco. Um. I, I've been interviewed for free articles. So, I mean, you you can find some of my 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 comments there. I've obviously been on this podcast as well, but um. If you see my work, it's usually behind the scenes with League MX, uh, either through friendly matches or sponsorship stuff. And so I have some projects right now that I've been working on with some clubs as well in the pipeline. So um, if, if I'm able to talk about those, and I, you'll you'll definitely see it uh, talked about um, on Twitter. So that's probably where you'd see most of what I'm doing. What about you, Guillermo? Uh, probably the easiest and quickest way to get my attention is to Twitter. <laughs> I'm an active Twitter user. Uh, I think what I, so same thing with the website. I have a uh, at, at, um, com. So that's, that's probably the easiest way to, to reach out to me. And I have to ask you, what is the weirdest? Not necessarily that Mexico is going to come with that, come up, come out with it. But what's the weirdest licensed product you've seen pitched at these shows you go to? Oh man, I have I, I have some crazy ones, but um, like coffins. I'm <laughs> okay, so here, here's an interesting one. And I'm going to put some promotional behind this, but <laughs> there's a company in California, right? Um, that they, they do coupling just, just like you said, Raul. But here's the interesting thing they do it with actual pieces of uh, either uniform or actual pieces of material used in official games. So I'll give you an example. Uh, the World, World Series bats, right? They actually buy the bats that are used in the World Series, like actual batters, right? And then out of the um, uh, wood, they make some couplings. 
And then they sell that as a extremely high-end product. Why? Because there's the emotional connection in terms of, hey, I have a company that actually, you know, it was a bad word in the 1997 World Series. So it's crazy. Um, and they're actually about to be a Mexican national team licensee. And what they're going to do is they're going to actually take some soccer balls out of Zoom friendly games, and they're going to create cufflinks out of those balls. So that's a crazy one. Wow. Wow. I, can you I, can you imagine the market for Chivas and Club America fans who want to be buried and stuff like that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's exactly true. Oh, uh, well. I thought about an emotional connection right there. Yeah, that's... Well, I mean, if you're a LeBron fan, you can get, like, a Heat, Heat and Cavs jersey on there. <laughs> all right, well. Yeah, definitely. All right, well, thanks for coming on, guys. Maybe we can do another one of these in the future as we get closer to the World Cup. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Raul. Uh, it was really fun, really interesting. Like, we're we're kind of uh, all three of us geeking out on sports business. That's kind of what I always wanted to do, and so it's it's really nice to speak with, with you guys that are interested in as well. And, um you know, I, I look forward to doing this again soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.